Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle. So today I've got an interview with award-winning nutritionist, writer and author Anita Bean. We had a really great conversation about uh, vegetarianism, in fact, and having a plant-based diet. I'll tell you just a little bit more about Anita in a second. Um, thank you very much for your comments and your feedback about the last episode with Rini McGregor, all about orthorexia and healthy eating. Um, it's very much appreci- appreciated. And I think the orthorexia thing really hit a note with a lot of people um, who just recognised that sometimes the whole idea of clean eating can just you know, can go a little bit far and can be a little bit difficult to deal with. Obviously, the actual disorder of orthorexia is very serious and, you know, is a much more involved problem with um, an eat- and much more involved eating disorder with a large obsessive elements. But I think all of us could recognize how that sort of approach to food where some is clean and some is regarded as dirty or unhealthy isn't particularly helpful. And it was really great to have a chance to speak to Rini about that and hear her thoughts about how to integrate healthy eating into a sort of a healthy lifestyle. Um, And I think this is a really great follow-up interview with Anita and she covers very similar areas in many ways. She's got a very similar approach. She's really good at talking about nutrition and, but also really just talking about having a healthy and balanced lifestyle and how it all fits together. Episode notes can be found at blokeology.io forward slash zero three eight. Um, so Anita, she's very much, and you know, she's got great um, presence and so great message around nutrition. Um, she's very much an award-winning nutritionist, and she specialises in more than anything in sports and exercise nutrition. And she's very passionate about trying to take the sort of complex science of nutrition and present it in a accessible and an accessible way. She's written a lot about running as well and nutrition for running. Uh, it's one of the, the I've got a couple of her books, uh, the Vegetarian Athletes Cookbook and also the Runners Cookbook. And, you know, she's got many other books and I can wholeheartedly recommend them. So for this episode, what we really talk about is like a vegetarianism 101. If you are thinking about going more plant-based then and taking out some meat out of your diet, then we just tackle some of the main thoughts and perhaps myths around vegetarianism. Um, you know, things like not being able to get enough protein or other things that you might be worried about, whether you'll get adequate nutrition. We talk a little bit about those. And so um, I think it'll be particularly helpful if you're making the transition away from meat And that's something you want to do. And you're trying to add more plants into your diet. I think if you're an established vegetarian or, you know, advocate of a plant-based diet, you'll also find lots that's useful here. Importantly, the thing that we started with was just talking about lifestyle in general. And we talked a little bit about walking and running and the things that we like to do. Nowadays, I'm so into walking. So whenever we get any time, we go off hiking. And now that the girls are a bit older, we don't need to worry about you know dragging around young children under yeah. <laughs> reluctance. But we just absolutely love going out, walking in mountains and you know all, all sorts of places. So we, we've been to the Alps a few times recently. But it could be Devon, it could be yeah. well, the Lake District, and your your neck of the woods sounds amazing. So I just love the idea of being outside, and I can totally understand the attraction of running in the mountains 
I unfortunately am confined to roads where I live down here in the south. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm, I have to make do with running around the block yeah. around residential roads and things like yeah. that. Well, my um, feeling is that I would never turn down a road run in comparison to anything else. So it's still nice to be out. But I can I can spend more time outside in the hills than I because like this morning I went out for an hour and twenty, and if I'd run that on the roads, I'd be really beat up and you're kind of sore and bored as well because that's the thing it's the boredom factor running on roads but if you are running in you know with with greenery all around you and you've got changing paths and landscapes and I think that must make it you've got that interest factor that adventurousness yeah I think I just don't seem to notice the time so much when I'm out doing that it wouldn't even occur to me to look at my watch I know roughly how long it it takes to get around bits because I've been climbing I've been running around these hills for years now but it's very different to my watch where I'm kind of always looking at it thinking, crikey, have yes. I only done that much time? I've still got, yeah. I'm only halfway there. And uh, it sounds like you're doing it for enjoyment. You're not doing it for, you know, for pursuit purely for fitness or pursuit of getting faster times. You're doing it also because you really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I'm a big advocate of that. I think, I, and I, partly that's out of necessity, and it might be like that, your husband's experience that I've never been any good. And so, actually, it's a you know you can have all these kind of you're running around thinking that you're turning into an amazing athlete, and I'm suddenly going to win everything, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> and I've, well, you know, I've turning, know, turning up to races, is, yeah, <laughs> turning up to races has led me to realise that I'm never going to excel in sporting terms. Um, yeah, and then if, <laughs> if you don't need to. I mean, no. this is what I'm maybe I've just got older I think when you're younger it's like the need to excel is yeah. so enormous and and all-consuming sometimes I think as you get older you just have to settle for that yeah. well, you know, at the end of the day you've just got to be grateful for for doing well and or grateful just to be able to do certain physical things whether it's running or training in a gym or whatever it is yeah. um you just got right. be, it's being realistic isn't yeah, it well, I, I think, think it, and uh, to a certain extent to me it's been liberating in that i can i don't have to worry about it and i can just concentrate on the experience which actually is about a million i think you know in my view is a, so much better for me than obsessing about the times or competition and some people need that but i'm better off without it uh, it sounds much much healthier well of course you're the expert in health so <laughs> <laughs> being a doctor you know you know what being truly healthy really means so um, no, it sounds like you've you've got it all worked out, and it also sounds like you're incredibly fit. If you're able to run for an hour and twenty, oh, well, that's extraordinary. I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's all about who you compare yourself with. I mean, everyone around here does that. So it doesn't, you know, kind of oh, the people really? you hang around with are all kind of. So you, I, I guess, yeah, compared to a lot of people, that it does seem. I guess it seems unobtainable to some people, but to me, it seems, it, 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 you know, it took me 20 years to get there. I remember when I started running back in the day and I was literally running for seven or eight minutes. And that was, regard, I regard, when I got to 10 minutes, I thought that was an achievement. So I guess I've moved on a lot since then. Yes, um, yes. But um, yeah, I try to work hard not to compare too much, but it must be because that I think that comparisonitis thing is just so toxic, potentially. Yeah. So much so, whether it's you know real life or whether it's on social media, um, it has such a negative effect. I think on your yeah. your mindset, mental health, and um, no, it's so much better to compare yourself with yourself and to just keep reminding yourself, like you've just done, you've just reminded yourself how far you've come, which is brilliant, going from seven <laughs> minutes up to an hour and twenty. <laughs> yeah, well, and you've had been. I, I have, was looking at your website. Of course, you've had quite a journey as well in terms of your. You're obviously, you know, your bodybuilding 
past yes. is incredible. <laughs> yes, my bodybuilding past. That was all pre-children, of course. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, that's something. Um, I mean, I'll never let go of it because although I no longer, you know, so I'm no longer training with heavy weights, I'm definitely not, you know, my competitive days were behind me and then I started to have children. But um, it, it really... Um, it really set the pattern for my lifestyle. So for me, physical activity is just part of what I do every day. But obviously, as I've got older, I'm not sort of doing the crazy things. I've just moderated it and I've become also much more, well, it doesn't matter if it's not an hour in the gym, but a half an hour walk would be fine. I'd, or I do yoga every day. So mm. 10 minutes, 60 minutes or whatever I can manage. So I kind of fit physical activity into my life. And I think the most important thing is to do something as we've already said, that you that you like, that you enjoy, and therefore you'll adhere to it. But secondly, something that you can keep up. So it's got to be, it's really got to be something that's consistent and it's got to be something you can make into a habit that will really, and that way it will have a positive impact on both your physical and your mental health. So, you know, nowadays I'm not in the gym, I'm not heaving heavy weights around, but I'm doing a whole, you know, I do, do some kind of yoga and mindfulness every day no matter you know that's a non-negotiable for me and then on top of that if I get a chance to do some strength and conditioning or or a walk or a run then you know that's that's all an added bonus um so I yeah I've kind of tamed down I suppose is the conclusion <laughs> yeah in the, my answer yeah I, I think you're absolutely right I couldn't agree more that I, the, the right that's the slight problem with talking about running all the time that it makes me worry that people who want to get physically active perhaps are, are put off by running and it's that's not necessarily the right movement for them but the right movement for someone is the one they do regularly and make absolutely. a habit of it yeah, although it sounds simple, doesn't it? It sounds so obvious to you and I, but yeah. actually sometimes getting that message across can be really difficult because yeah. um, people that, oh, you know, we've got, it's got to be running or, or nothing. You know, you see, running is like the ultimate in exercise in a lot of people's mind. And if they find it a bit uncomfortable, they get very puffed out after five minutes, then it becomes something that, they, you know, they just kind of turns them off exercise. But um, you know, as you just said, you know, it doesn't have to be running. It can be anything, really, provided people stick with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, well, I guess you probably want to talk a little bit more about food and nutrition. I could probably natter to you for hours, yeah. and I do apologise. No, that's quite all right. <laughs> well, we absolutely should talk a little bit about nutrition because if you don't get that right, doing the exercise is a lot harder and probably not as successful. One of the first things, I guess, is actually just kind of maybe we should talk about is maybe about how people define vegetarian diets and just because there might be an assumption that we start talking about certain different kinds of vegetarian diets but people might not know what we mean in in terms of the various definitions that are out there yeah and that's a really good place to start because I think there are now so many different terms that are used quite interchangeably in everyday speaking by people so strictly speaking when we say vegetarian we really mean a diet that excludes meat and fish but it would include dairy and eggs but we've also got terms like plant-based and that's widely used nowadays plant-based um, can mean anything from just a plant-focused diet where you're including lots of vegetables and so on or it can mean strictly vegan where you're excluding all animal products including the dairy as well as the meat um, it can also mean flexitarian for lots of people and so flexitarian is is really regarded as meaning mostly vegetarian but you can include small amounts of meat and 
fish on an infrequent basis. So it's quite a loose term. Obviously, veganism is... I suppose at one end of the spectrum where they're very strict about excluding all animal products, and that includes honey. Um, vegetarianism, I see, is sitting sort of fairly comfortably in the middle. It, it does obviously mean excluding meat and fish, but um, it, it, it doesn't have sort of perhaps such strict ethical goals as being vegan. So I hope that answers mm -hmm. your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, what we're talking about. I, th I think a lot of people, and, and you know, it's, I've got a slight. I suppose the first thing I should do is declare my own status. Um, in that, I am not a vegetarian, but I probably meet the criteria, if you like, for flexitarian. But mm. actually, I'm a little bit reluctant to have a label put on me at all in terms yeah. of what I eat and how I go about eating. So although I can feel myself moving towards vegetarianism and it's been actually probably a month since I had any meat at the moment, I wouldn't, yeah. I'm not holding myself to it in terms of I am determined to persist with that. It's just what I happen to be eating. And I think one of the problems nowadays is that people are slapping labels on every way of eating as if somehow the way you eat has got to conform to a religion almost. And so I, I much prefer your way, which means that it's all, it's, it's all, part of a continuum you don't have to be strictly eating in a certain way in order to satisfy certain criteria so um i think a lot of people now in fact we've we've, we've got studies you know the most recent survey that i read was actually um it was actually produced by waitrose it was their food and health report 2018 which found that one in four people are either vegetarian, vegan, or reducing their meat nowadays. So um, it's a very popular trend as people are generally cutting down on meat and they are eating more plant-based foods, you know, more vegetables, more pulses and so on. So it's a healthier type of eating. You don't need to be strictly conforming to the label of being vegetarian or vegan. Yeah, I think that's and one of the things I think about the labels is that they can put people off as well. It's like, you know, yeah. people don't want to call themselves a runner, for example, because they just do a little right. bit of jogging and it suddenly stops them doing the things they want to do. And, and it just it feeds into a sort of negative perception about yourself as well. And there's guilt about food. And that's a really bad place to be in terms of we should all just love be enjoying our food and in a sort exactly. of a healthy and holistic way. Yeah, exactly. And I think what a trend that I've noticed over the last year or so is that people are but it's of attaching moral values mm. to the way people eat. And this is this sort of builds into this whole sphere of it's really what is a vegan and why is vegan become so popular? Well, a lot of it does seem to be tied up in morality and, and food ethics and so on. And um it's something that we should really move away from because you really cannot attach moral values to food and the way that people eat. There's so many other reasons that explain why people eat. Many of them could be social economic, it could be cultural, it could be financial. And then let's not forget, we also eat food because we like certain foods. <laughs> you know, we, we like and dislike foods. So all of those things matter. And then okay, you know, your, your ethics, your um, the way you feel about the planet, that will all come into it as well. So that's why it's so difficult to put labels on things. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, um, that's perhaps something that has plagued veganism over the last... It's, oh, clearly, you can feel that things are shifting. 
Um, mm. well, you've got to be a bit careful because things are shifting, at least in my bubble. But I'm very aware that I slightly live in a slightly, you know, that middle class doctor professional right. lifestyle <laughs> bubble. And there's a bit of a risk that, it, but my sensation is that it probably is spreading further. But one of the barriers to veganism in the past has been there's lots of good arguments for veganism, mm. I think, in terms of lots of areas of health and ethical and you know environmental reasons but there has been that always that hint of um you know moralizing that has gone with it which a lot yeah. of people have pushed back against and found yeah. so hard yeah definitely I, mean, I think you're right saying that there are lots of good reasons for consuming less meat and veering more towards a vegan diet and I think that actually we know from the research that the biggest driver particularly for younger people is the environment and the idea of reducing the carbon footprint so it's, it's no secret that we'd all solve a lot of problems particularly in terms of world poverty and, and food scarcity if everyone at less meat or switch to more of a vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, we know that plants have got less of an impact on the environment than meat. So, you know, all of these reasons are are really important. Mm. So we won't go into those too much today. What I did want to ask you about, of course, was just in terms of vegetarianism in particular, um, what, what's the big picture benefits in terms of health? How does it, you know, what, what does the evidence tend to show that the ways that vegetarianism could improve or I'm going to say improve and I'm making an assumption that improves your health. It could make your health worse in some ways as well, I suppose. But what, what's the big picture evidence? Yeah, we have got a lot of um big studies, population-based studies. We've got the Adventist health studies, which were carried out in the US um, really over the last um, 30, 40 years. So it's strong evidence base. We've also got European evidence. This is the EPIC studies. That's the European Prospective Investigation um, investigation trials on cancer, which has looked at vegetarian diets compared to non-vegetarian diets. But essentially, all of these big population studies, we call them epidemiology studies, have shown that eating less meat is associated with a lower incidence of cardiovascular disease, greater longevity, in other words, a longer lifespan, less type 2 diabetes, less of certain cancers, particularly bowel cancer, breast and prostate cancer, less uh, sort of lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol levels, and also lower body weight or lower BMI, lower obesity risk. So there are very strong associations of a low meat or a vegetarian diet and health benefits. Um, so it does make sense from a health point of view. However, before people start saying, <laughs> but it's not just the meat, it's not necessarily because people are excluding meat from the diet. It could also be because they consume more plants. So that means that they will automatically be getting more fiber, more phytochemicals, more polyphenols, less saturated fats. But also vegetarians tend to engage in more healthier behaviours. They're more likely to exercise regularly, less likely to smoke, less likely to have excessive amounts of alcohol. So there are many explanations when you look at it from a population point of view. But I think when you boil it down more into an individual level, you know, why why would one individual person be healthier if they gave up meat? Well, the chances are they their health probably will benefit in the for the reasons that I've just described, but you've also got to look at the whole lifestyle in con you know, the diet in context with the lifestyle. But 
probably the question that I get asked most evolved by individuals is, is meat really bad for me? Um, and again, we can, we can look at the studies, we can look at recommendations from organisations such as the World Cancer Research Fund. And what they have done, they have um, concluded that both red meat and processed meat are both causes of cancer. So they were very definite about that. They are definitely causes of cancer. However, it boils down to the relative risk. Um, so, you know, the relative risk obviously increases the more processed meat that you consume. And they have actually made recommendations. And ideally, they have recommended that we should have no processed meat at all. So when we say processed meat, we're talking about meats such as ham, bacon, salami, anything that has been um, preserved in some way with the addition of salt or smoke. So ideally, we should have no processed meat swap because that can increase the risk of cancers such as bowel cancer. And then red meat, they have put a limit on that. They recommend that we should be consuming less than 500 grams per week. So it's not really a great deal. So the theory is that perhaps explain why meat may have a carcinogenic effect. It could relate to the cooking. And we certainly know that cooking at high temperatures, so when you're grilling meat, when you're roasting meat, when you're barbecuing it, leads to the formation of certain carcinogenic compounds. We call them HCAs or PAHs. So these are sort of heterocyclic um, aromatic compounds that could uh, result in cancer, particularly in the bowel. It could also relate to the fact that meat has been processed or preserved in some ways. So this is the salting of meat to make um, bacon or ham. Um, and this, this also creates compounds that could be carcinogenic. Um, and it could also relate to the heme content. That's the iron part of meat that um, forms these nitroso compounds in the gut, and that can irritate the bowel lining. Um, so these are all the possible explanations as to why meat may um, may cause cancer in some people. Yeah, gosh, that's really interesting. There's a few things you, you mentioned right when you were telling us about the potential health health benefits. You used the word associations. You've already gone on to explain that that you, you, we just it's so hard to pick out, isn't it? And that's obviously the problem mm -hmm. with long term nutritional studies as a as a yeah. discipline in terms of the epidemiology generally. It's so hard to pick out causation from. Mm. The, then there's various different ways we look at to try to work out if there are cause there is causation. Um, and but you know doing randomized controlled trials is not really an option in terms no. of seeing when people have heart attacks at the end that so yeah we are always kind of extrapolating from the data but it's yes. interesting that actually I'm not sure I knew that that I, I knew the advice about processed meat and red meat but I hadn't quite picked out the distinction that they're very they've been very definite in saying that the processed meat they really think there's causation here but the red meat, they're perhaps not quite as clear on the causation just yet. Exactly. That's more, I, th I think, the, the WCRF regard red meat more as a, a, a probable cause or, or, yeah. or a likely cause of bowel cancer. Rather, it's not quite as, it, it's, it's certainly a cause, but it's not so strongly associated um, with bowel cancer as processed meat is. Yeah, interesting. They came down, it was a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? I think it might be longer time. Usually when yes. I say a couple of years ago, that usually means it's at least four or five. I'm at that stage <laughs> of life where I have to no, double. They, 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 you're absolutely right. There was an update um, came out last 2017. Yeah. Um, and then their, their big report 
came out, I believe it was um, about four years prior to that. So they, they are constantly updating and reassessing the evidence. Basically, the, the latest evidence has just reaffirmed um, the, the original recommendations anyway I think, an, I think it's an important point though because it pro- i'm not sure it's penetrated into you know the problem is there's a lot of conflicting dietary advice gets reported in the newspapers yeah. but this wasn't particularly conflicted in that regard it was fairly categorical for the organizations to come out to, and to say that there is a causal factor here that's quite you have to have a lot of evidence backing that up they've not done it on the basis of a couple of you know on a whim and a couple of studies which looked the way there was a whiff of a problem they, they looked at hundred you're right they looked at hundreds of studies um, and you know the, these these are world experts on cancer and epidemiology, so they have assessed the evidence. So you're absolutely right. What they conclude and what they recommend really does carry an awful lot of weight. And these recommendations, they did get a fair amount of publicity in the media. But of course, as you just said, it always stirs up controversies. And I think when it comes down to diet, especially something that's really fundamental in people's diets, such as meat, it's an, it sometimes is quite an unpalatable truth for a lot of people. And they would rather you know, argue against it or bury it or say, oh, well, there's founding factors, of course. But um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because, um, I mean, my, my point of view is that I don't necessarily want to convert everybody into a vegetarian or vegan diet because it might not be right for them. I don't think that nobody would take any notice. Nobody likes to be told what to do. So my approach really is just to say, well, this is, this is the evidence. This is the way that I personally choose to eat if you're interested. But, you know, people should be able to make up their own minds because as I've already explained, the way we choose to eat is based on so many different factors. And, uh, you know, you can't start confusing morality too tightly with all of the other factors. But for those people who are health aware, those people who are environmentally aware, people who are in the right sort of financial or economic situation and are in a position to make choices from an educated standpoint about their health and about the way they eat, then reducing the meat consumption really does make perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder if it hasn't, I'm not sure I've ever seen any public health campaigns about processed meat in quite the same way as you see about physical activity and other things. It's perhaps not being, I mean, there's a limit to how much the public at large can tolerate in terms of being told as you you know you rightly suggest there that there's a, there's a real balance between educating people and informing them versus that kind of risk of the, mm. where people push back against really hard advice that they feel they're being lectured to and di- and told how to live their lives exactly and you've got to remember also that the food industry has got enormous vested interests in certain yes that's foods, an extremely so, good well, point that um yeah, you are it, fighting against that yeah and there's you know in terms of the you know lobbies in and around parliament and the legislature there's very little there's very little push to um uh, you know that to uh, to make substantial changes isn't there Exactly. I mean, so whether you're talking about meat or whether you're talking about sugar or fats, you know, that there there are so many bigger interests at heart when it comes to you know government policy and you know what what constitutes a free market, um, how far public health, you know, where should public health 
interject? Where should we draw lines? The sugar tax, for example, that's not a popular tax amongst many people. Some people say it's a great idea. Other people say it's a really bad idea. We don't have sufficient evidence. It disadvantages poorer people. So, you know, there are pros and cons on each side of things. So, it's always going to be really difficult as to where or, or how you can legislate about food consumption. So, anyway, my, my approach is... Um, is a, sort of a gentler approach rather than that strong arm approach of public health. Um, and that's really why I wanted to write my books, really, I suppose, was just to show people that you can make simple, delicious and inexpensive meals um, that can support your training goals, your fitness goals, your health goals. And you can make food interesting and you know, hopefully it will inspire people to cook. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I mean, I've got the book, I've got your Vegetarian Athletes Cookbook open in front of me at the moment. And um, it was relatively recently we got it as we've moved towards, as you, as you suggest, I think we fall into that wheat trows one in four and moving towards vegetarian, vegan or reducing meat. Right. Um, and uh, and it has been easily, comfortably one of our most successful recipe books we've ever had in oh, terms of you. getting stuck in and actually recipes that, and the kids, because some of the, the kids have absolutely gone potty loving some of the recipes really? as well, which is, oh. I've always got that slight hesitation that the children are going to just, and they're a little bit older now, so they're not that you know they're not that young but they're, they're yes. always they're, we present them with something new but we're all yes. one of the big things i think and the reason recipe books and things are so important and, and there's a lot more than just recipes in your book i know there's lots of information about vegetarian myths and other things mm. is that you just you learn to cook a certain way as well and you have to go out step out of your comfort zone a little and learn to cook different kinds of meals and different kinds of um uh, you know and use different ingredients and it just takes a little bit of effort to do that yeah, I think the hardest thing about cooking is simply getting yourself organised. Because let's face it, if you're following a recipe, by the way, I think that all of my recipes are pretty simple. But if you're following a recipe, mm. you, you don't need great amounts of skill. You don't need <laughs> to be trained by a French chef or anything like that. You simply need the ability to have the ingredients to hand and the ability to follow some fairly simple instructions. So I think a lot of it is boils down to motivation and organization quite honestly um so if you know if the, re if the recipe is based on everyday foods you know there's nothing too expensive or difficult to get hold of and you know you're, you're sufficiently motivated to spend a tiny bit of time in the kitchen which i hope that people are because obviously health is important and also food, actually cooking can be enjoyable as well it, it's not something that people should regard as a chore it, it is actually enjoyable you shouldn't think oh this is just another thing that I've got to fit into my day um you know see it as, as, as almost like a hobby or just something that, that you do that you enjoy doing um and the great thing is that you get a result at the end of it that you can eat <laughs> that yeah. tastes really delicious yeah absolutely um I've, 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 I couldn't agree more I think one of the things is I'm always I'm one of those that I just I follow I follow um I you know I'm not sure I'm the natural cook in that regard I don't have enough experience and I just follow recipes religiously I do exactly yeah, what they tell yes. me and I you know I put my watch on and boil things for exactly how long I'm told and yes. actually they almost always work out and um, it's always hard the first time you do it it's like anything with these recipes that the first time is always a bit awkward you're not quite sure what you're doing yes. the second time is a bit better but once you get on to doing something three four times you actually it becomes very natural and easy 
Yes, exactly. I mean, I, th- I think the way I've always approached cooking, I've always approached it's a little bit of a science experiment. And I suppose when I was at school, I did like food chem, uh, I liked chemistry, um, and I liked the idea of sort of following the method and being quite precise about everything. And then I extended that into the kitchen. So I saw sort of cooking really as an extension of um, lab work at school and following instructions, putting things together. But the great thing about food cooking, as opposed to dealing with chemicals is that you have got a bit more leeway you can mix and batch a bit more you know things aren't necessarily ultra set in stone so whilst it's important to follow a recipe for certain foods like for example if you were making I know a sponge cake it's quite important to get the, the proportions of the fat the sugar and the flour right but there's much more leeway when it comes to say making a stew or a curry you can't there's so much more scope and you can change the spices or you can sort of add extra ingredients you can swap um i don't know instead of adding green beans you can add in courgettes so there's there's much more scope um which does make it more creative i suppose and yeah a bit more fun and once you get used to you can start throwing in any old fridge gravel and just you know you can turn something lovely out at the end of it so that you're yeah that's really helpful so one of the things i did want to ask about was just a kind of uh, there's a few kind of typical things like vegetarian myths that people throw Mm. back at vegetarians or people who are advocating a vegetarian lifestyle and one of the first ones was that vegetarian because we talk about meat and one of the things that meat does very well is give you protein and there's that real anxiety that vegetarians won't get enough protein somehow Exactly. And I think that's probably the biggest myth out there is that you can't get enough protein, you definitely won't be able to build muscle, you won't be able to perform at a high level without meat. So the truth is that it's perfectly possible to get plenty of protein from sources other than meat. So there are many sources that supply protein. If you're a vegetarian, you can get protein from obviously dairy and eggs. But there's also pulses, by which I mean beans, lentils, chickpeas peas there's all sorts of nuts and seeds there's tofu there's um, all the different soya products that are available now so grains quinoa um, and there's, there's quite all these new foods now like well people people are, are consuming more quinoa and buckwheat so these are quite high in protein but um, the, the key really is to consume a wide variety of different foods. I and mean, fortunately, there are lots and lots of foods. And when I say nuts, you know, there are you know, literally eight, nine, ten different nuts that you can easily buy from supermarkets. But you can also buy lots of different types of nut butter nowadays. You can get your cashew, your almond, your peanut butter. Um, so it's so, so much easier now than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Certainly when I was growing up as a child, as a vegetarian, it was really hard. So provided now you are consuming a wide variety of different sources and you're consuming enough to meet your body's requirement, then there's definitely no disadvantage when it comes to performance. And there's, there, there is plenty of evidence that eating a vegetarian diet or a plant-focused diet doesn't um, hinder your performance in any way. It can definitely support physical performance. So whether you're at Olympic level, a world-class level like um, Venus Williams, for example, she's obviously a, um, <laughs> a top athlete. We've got Lewis Hamilton, we've got David Hay. Or whether you just like to keep fit and go running couple of times a week or go to the gym once or twice a week or you play football at weekends definitely a vegetarian diet can support your training and your performance yeah i think um it was 
Kate, I don't think we'd, I'm not sure we'd mentioned it specifically already, but you were actually a British bodybuilding champion in the, you know, in your earlier um, times. And um, <laughs> so you clearly didn't have any difficulty getting protein then. No. And I mean, I, when people say things like, oh, it's impossible to build muscle without meat, well, I said, well, actually, I've been vegetarian all my life. This is the way that I was brought up. Mm. And I became uh, the British bodybuilding champion um, at the age of 29, actually. So he's Quite a, it was a few years, quite a few years ago, actually. Um, I didn't consume any meat. Um, I had a, a range of different dairy products. Obviously, I consumed poles. I mean, my diet is still exactly the same. It's it's just very varied. I just include lots of pulses. I include nuts and seeds. I include. I do include um, dairy products like cheese and yogurt and milk and so on. But you definitely don't need to consume animal products in order to build muscle. Yeah, I think one of the one of the really cool things is that you mentioned that the Waitrose survey is that gosh, it it is a tremendously easier than what I from what I remember back in say the nineteen nineties in terms of the accessibility of lots of these foods and pulses and grains and other things and nuts and the supermarkets so they're growing in they're climbing into this i think this this market yes. um, yeah. uh, there and there's going to be an explosion presumably over the next few years of different products and an expansion and they're just going to be happy to sell sell those products to people and i i, I think it's only looking going to look like good news over the next few years in terms of availability yeah, and the interesting thing now is that you can get whole aisles of supermarkets mm-hmm. devoted to vegan and vegetarian food. Sainsbury's, Waitrose are probably the leading supermarket there because they have got, uh, they've just launched a, a huge range of vegan foods, which is quite interesting because, you know, officially we know that there's just over half a million vegans in this country which actually is a very small percentage it's something like i mean correct me my master it's less than one percent of the population so but the fact that major supermarkets are now coming up with big ranges of vegan foods and they're devoting large sections of supermarkets um space um then we we know that it's a very growing market and one that they're treating really seriously but i think it also underlines the fact that it's not just vegans who are buying this food it's people who are sort of interested in incorporating you know more more plant-based foods more vegan vegetarian foods in their diet so like you you could be flexitarian or somewhere halfway between vegetarian and non-vegetarian um, and of course you can buy these foods but the other really big change that i've noticed is um, eating out so we go out to restaurants pubs cafes it is so much easier now than it was 20 years ago um you know i said certainly say in the last five years there's been a radical shift once upon a time when i went out to eat i really struggled to find anything on the menu and i often just have to have pasta with you know tomato sauce uh, possibly an omelette and then nowadays okay you can get your goat's cheese salad pretty much everywhere you go but generally there's always you know one or two things on on most when you go to a chain restaurant there's always a couple of things now on on the menu that you can choose from so um it's it things have really changed i think a lot of people are, are now not only just vegetarian but are actually interested in having vegetarian food yeah 
Yeah, it's excellent. Um, so one other thing I, sh- I must, and I think I got taught this at medical school, another myth that vegetarian diets lack iron. And it, I, I, for years, I think I've quoted evidence that suggested that there was an increased percentage of people who followed a vegetarian or a vegan diet who were more likely to be iron deficient. And it was something to watch for. But I think it does come into the myth category, and I re- need to readjust my thinking on this about a vegetarian <laughs> diet and iron. Yeah, well, okay. So in, in theory, that makes sense because we know that iron is needed for making hemoglobin in the red blood cells, and that's important for carrying the, the, the oxygen around the body. So um, we most people have got this, this concept because meat is a rich source of iron and that iron is quite readily absorbed by the body. So therefore, if you exclude meat, then vegetarians will end up being anemic. That means that they'll, you know, the kind of symptoms or that they'll be very pale, persistent tiredness and um, more breathless when they move around. But in fact, when you look at the studies, we know that um, iron deficiency anemia is no more common in vegetarians than it is in meat eaters. Um, there is a difference, though, between vegans and meat eaters. There seems to be a slight increased incidence amongst um, vegans. But we'll actually delve into the studies, and what we now know is that it's not so much your intake of iron that's important, it's more your losses of iron that's important, which would explain why um, girls and women are more likely to suffer from iron deficiency anemia because they suffer greater iron losses through the months and periods. But um, going, going back to the intake side of things, we know that if the body is a little bit short on iron, it will just absorb more from our food. In fact, we on average, we only absorb 10-15% of the iron in our food. So if the body's got plenty of iron in its stores, it absorbs less and then the converse is true. So you can get iron, you can get it from meat, but you can also get it from a whole range of other foods like um, chickpeas, lentils, nuts and seeds, um, whole grains, dried apricots, green leafy vegetables and egg yolks, also a useful source. Um, and you can actually increase the amount that the body absorbs by having a food that's rich in vitamin C, like red peppers, oranges, blueberries, strawberries, broccoli. So some, if you eat those foods at the same time, then you've got a win-win situation. You've got your clever body absorbing as much as it needs, plus you've got the vitamin C um, and, and also the citric acid that you find in fruit and vegetables. They will help to promote the absorption of iron. Um, so I suppose it does boil down, at the end of the day, it really does boil down to putting some thought into your diet as a vegetarian and getting a whole range of different foods in your diet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, that sounds all ex- extremely sensible and, and very manageable. I, I know there are some slight differences in terms of supplements for between vegans and vegetarians um, that you might recommend. Uh, do you have any you particularly recommend for vegetarians? Um, no, vegetarians probably won't need, but they don't need to consume any supplements. The, the one, I think the one supplement that I, I would say is, is a good idea would be the omega threes, because oily fish are a major source of omega threes. And as a vegetarian, you can only really get the plant type of omega threes from a few nuts and seeds, so just walnuts chia seeds, flax seeds. So the, these aren't foods that many people would consume in big enough quantities. So it's a good idea to consider a vegetarian omega-3 supplement, ideally one that's made from algae oil, because that will have a higher content of um, omega-3s, of the, 
the the ones that are really useful for the body anyway. Um, but when it comes to vegans, they will seriously need to consider taking a supplement containing B12 mm. because you cannot obtain it from anything from a vegan diet. So you must, con- I would say really you should have a, a multivitamin supplement that contains at least 10 micrograms of B12. And then they need to also check they're getting enough iodine because um the fish and milk are the main sources. So you'd need to consume either a food that is fortified with iodine or ideally a multivitamin and mineral supplement that contains iodine. And the final final nutrient that I think may be tricky to get on a vegan diet would be calcium. Um, however, provided you are choosing a non-dairy milk alternative, so something like a soya milk that's got added calcium, you should be okay. I do worry about some brands of these non-dairy milks, these plant milks that aren't fortified because really they contain very, very small amounts of nutrients. So the, the, the fact is that you've got to, if you're a vegan, you've really got to have fortified foods and consider some supplementation in your diet if you really want to, to be um, healthy. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I was chatting to Rini McGregor recently um, about orthorexia and she was very adamant and quite belligerent about um, uh, these kind of plant-based milks that have just been very expensive water in terms of their nutritional value. Particularly if you you want to get nutritional value from them, you probably need to, the fortified versions are going to be really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, Most of them are really low, apart from from soy milk, but most of them are really low in protein and very low in other nutrients. Um, So I would advise vegans to, if you can't have dairy milk, go for soya milk. And then if you don't like soya milk and you need to go for a nut milk, then go for one that's got added calcium and B vitamins as well. And that might apply to some vegetarians who are just thinking, well, I'll just cut down on a little bit of my dairy as well, um, just to be aware that there's quite a nutritional difference, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, um, you know, most most vegetarians will be consuming uh, cow's milk and dairy products. There's no reason not to. I think, unfortunately, dairy products have been vilified um, over the last um, five, ten years. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is. I think it's all part of this odd uh, clean eating movement that's evolved. And of course, you know, for some reason, you know, they just like to say, well, here's a list of foods that you can eat. Here's a list of foods that you can't eat. And unfortunately, dairy products have been rather caught up in the crossfire there and put into the somehow put into the bad category but it's it's a it's a tricky one <laughs> yeah that, I mean that was exactly the the conversation I had with Rini about it was about clean eating and orthorexia yeah. and that kind of how we are just some foods are you know and there's probably no such thing as a bad food it's all about how much of it you have and uh, there's there's lots of other things but it, there's been a certain amount of as you say vilification of dairy products and milk in particular and I guess that feeds into that whole kind of lactose intolerance thing that some people have and but then it, it feeds into more of that yeah that I, mean, I think she said she'd seen less of it around recently and i don't hang around on instagram enough to know but that clean eating movement it's it's definitely declined in the last 18 months that's for sure um i think people promoting clean eating on social media have been called out um 
the basically a lot of things that they promote is not evidence-based it's just based really on you know jumping onto some trendy bandwagon um so although we know that healthy eating is good for us it's when it's it's taken too far and this is presumably what Irina was talking about, when uh, people become obsessed with eating healthily or eating only in a certain way and adhering to very strict rules. Um, it does upset me, though, that vegetarianism and veganism is conflated with with that sort of unhealthy eating, you know, with, an, with clean eating and even orthorexia and, and even weight loss diets, because people should not be turning to vegetarianism because they want to lose weight or because they feel that it will make them healthier or morally superior in any way. Those are not good reasons for turning to a vegetarian diet. No, no that certainly wasn't, and certainly that wasn't Rini's message in that regard. I think she's vegetarian no. herself. Um, yes. And um, there's a reckoning, but I think you're right that it has got conflated. There's a kind of some overlapping Venn diagram circles there and it's yes. got pulled in at points as well. Yeah. But it's quite possible to be a vegetarian and be a tremendously unhealthy one if you just yes. eat, you know, pre-prepared veggie burgers and, you know, the kind of the fake meat substitutes out there or you could just eat, you could just eat processed pizzas every night and you'd still be vegetarian but you wouldn't necessarily be um it wouldn't necessarily be any you wouldn't necessarily be any better off for it very interesting actually this this threat this rise in what i call fake meat products or meat substitutes so whilst um so i'm talking here about products that look like chicken or anything that it's meant to look like pulled pork could be made from jackfruit or products made from seitan which is a wheat protein and they can make it look like chicken nuggets like beef pieces um, or even these corn products or anything that's uh, it's meant to look like me I, I to me that's counterintuitive because I think well if you choose not to consume meat then why are you eating something that looks like meat so it might be a sort of a convenient halfway house for people who are reluctant to stop eating when they really like the texture and the taste of it but they don't like what it does to the environment but nutritionally I don't think that they're really that good so whilst they might be quite high in, some of them are quite high in protein like corn for example or soya products but there are some that are actually really low in proteins I'm talking about your jackfruit products here um, and a lot of them are really high in salt and I've actually analysed many of the recipes that are now going out in these um, vegan recipe books that will use um, sea tan, jackfruit, but they're so high in salt because they're having to add lots of soy sauce, lots of seasonings just to make them taste of anything. So you're kind of swapping one health benefit for a health disadvantage yeah. some of the time. And but it's like anything, you know. Once in a while, it's not going to be a big problem. But it's just if you were that, you know, if they were, if your diet was packed out with them. I, what I should mention mm. is that um, you've, you've, got, you've got some wonderful uh, nut burger recipes in the book, um, oh, yes. and the cashew nut burgers. Well, oh good goodness oh, me, we were absolutely thrilled with those. They were oh, they, they were fabulous, yes. and I, I mean something shouldn't taste like meat to be um <laughs> uh, to be good mm. but they had a they had a very meaty and kind of substantial quality to them sometimes veggie burgers t tend to fall apart a little bit particularly the, yes. the shop bought ones yeah, and they, they were really great yeah i mean actually that's one of my favorite things at the moment actually i really like experimenting with different nuts and different pulses and making them into 
burgers or patties. Um, so cashew nuts work really well. And actually, if you combine them with chickpeas, that's another really good thing that I like doing at the moment. So the combination of beans or you know, some kind of pulses with it could be cashew nuts, walnuts also work quite well, Brazil nuts also work quite well. Um, so yeah, you've suddenly got 101 different burgers that you can eat, but they're not, I shouldn't really use the word burgers because they're not burgers in the meat sense. <laughs> I should call them, I don't know, they, they should be called something else really. But I, get, yeah. um, I don't know, does, does, bur- does burgers themselves, does that have a meat, um, uh, does that have a meat meaning going back? Probably not, actually. I think you're Etymology. absolutely right. I'm not sure. just, <laughs> I think burgers should just refer to the shape of it. So we might call them, pat, you know, the old Patties. fashioned vegetarian books will call them patties wouldn't they which yeah, probably put people off 70s but yeah. yeah we should think of a perhaps a different name yeah <laughs> anyway, i'm glad that that recipe works for you and we're yeah i know it's great and it's super simple as well it's one of those things you do it once and you think oh this was that was really easy and actually the next time it just becomes so straightforward yeah. great well thank you <laughs> um, so a couple of a couple of final myths and i think i'm aware that um time is drawing to a close there was a couple of other myths you addressed it's one one is that vegetarians will have less energy and the other was that vegetarian diets will leave you hungry. And I guess that's that kind of thought that yeah. all you're going to get to eat is a few lettuce leaves. And I that's thought I'd right. give you a chance to address yes. those. Okay. So when people say, oh, a vegetarian diet will leave you lacking in energy and tired. Well, that's because people aren't eating a properly planned vegetarian diet. So if you just simply take out the meat and then you're just eating vegetables and maybe a few grains or a few beans well that's not a balanced diet that's lacking in calories and so that would explain why some vegetarian diets could leave people lacking in energy however if you obviously made sure that it was healthy and you ate enough food it definitely wouldn't leave you lacking in energy in fact just the reverse is true you'll have more vitamins more phytonutrients more of the right kind of fats and then you'll you'll feel that you are um, you'll, you'll, you'll just feel so much better for it. Um, and then the myth that a uh, vegetarian diet will leave you feeling hungry, um, that's a really popular one put up by sort of diehard meat eaters and the carnivores out there just because they like to um, justify their choice of meat. But um, it would only leave you hungry if you really excluded fiber and and vegetables and so on so I suppose you could have a highly processed vegetarian diet that was you know made from I know like bought for you know ready 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 made foods and ready made sauces but provided again you are having a well-planned diet with a whole variety of different foods and it's got sufficient high fiber foods within there it definitely won't leave you hungry obviously you've got to include protein and fat to promote satiety which you will get from protein many sources and fats from your nuts your nut butter your avocado your olive oil um nut butters and so on so as long as those are in in your diet you won't be feeling hungry and you'll definitely be feeling just as full as any meat eater would if not more so <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and i, I think one of the things that the, the book's very much about the, the vegetarian athlete though I, I don't think you need to be an athlete to benefit from this oh. I, there's lots of stuff in there i know that you, you're appealing you've talked you talk a little bit in the book about performance benefits as well i think i'm right in yes. saying that there isn't necessarily any performance benefits that have been proven but there's certainly no performance detriment either Absolutely. I mean, that's a message that I will, I really hope comes through loud and clear. I'm not saying that 
consuming a vegetarian diet will make you into an Olympic athlete. On the other hand, it was you said it will not be any detriment to your health, your physical performance, your training, or your or your sort of your athletic goals. Um, really, the book is aimed at anybody who is active so you don't need to be an athlete in the sense that you're competing in high level competitions you it's fine if you are walking regularly if you're jogging from time to time or you play a weekend football match um of course yeah, there's plenty in it for you that will show you really how that will support your your fitness goals and allow you to train to your best potential yeah Absolutely. I think there's there's loads there for everybody. So I should ask Anita, whereabouts can um, people find out a little bit more about you, about your books and your work? Okay, so you can go onto my website, which is anitabean.co.uk. I am also on social media. I've, I'm on Twitter at Anita Bean. I'm also on Instagram at Anita Bean One. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of information on my website, lots of free recipes, lots and lots and lots of free articles on sports nutrition. Um, and, of course, my books are all sold through Amazon. Um, it's probably the best place to, to buy them. Great. Well, um, I can certainly wholeheartedly recommend them. And um, it's been absolutely charming speaking to you, Anita. Thank you so much for coming on today. You are very welcome. And thank you for having me on. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blocology.io. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blocology at www.blocology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels, all of which can be found at blocology.io. Thanks again. Thanks again.